This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Steeler Nation, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Stony Brewing. Pure, honest beer. Today, Steeler Nation, I have the great pleasure of welcoming, in my opinion, one of the toughest people to ever wear a Steeler jersey. I'd like to welcome Merrill Hodge to Steeler Nation. Merrill, how are you doing? I'm good, my brother. Always good to be a part of Steeler Nation in some form. That is great, man. And since I know you're an analyst, uh, how closely do you still follow the Steelers? Uh, pretty close. I'm sitting here looking at the uh, Miami Dolphin offense against the Bills defense, which is their next opponent on Monday night. So yeah. I don't really watch, you know, I, I, I watch all the coaching tape yeah. still on the league. That's the only way you can really tell the truth about a player or a team. I tell people all the time, TV lies and highlights really lie. Don't trust that because you can never tell you the truth about a player or a game or a, or a team. Yeah, it's the all the all uh, eleven coaching film. You mean from the behind all, yeah, scenes of all, the screen? All twenty two. You know, so. it's an inner. It's, it's like we watch those players. It's the uh, it's the end zone and uh, all twenty two look and the end zone look, the inner cut. You see, actually, see well, people. I don't know if people know this, but um, you watch every play twice. You just see it from the sideline angle and then from the end zone angle. Yeah. So uh, that that's the good, the best way to evaluate. And I know it's much tougher with, you know, normal fans watching on television. We're only seeing the sideline angle. You don't really get to see how the blocks are set up until they show a replay where they're coming around and they'll highlights, uh, you know, somebody want to pull or making a great block. It's really tough to see, obviously, on the sideline. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole other thing. What what kind of front are they in? What kind of whose responsibility is? What's responsibility from a defensive perspective, coverage-wise? Who's supposed to be helping if there was a zone? Or even man, they have sometimes, you know, help from that perspective. Anyway, there's this whole host of things. I could watch a play. Mm-hmm. I could spend 30 minutes on a play sometimes as you really look in yeah. all of the details and, and the intricacies of any given play. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why there's no possible – you know what you're looking at, quite yeah. honestly, to, you know, to sit there and discuss things. And sometimes it does require you to call a coordinator and say, mm-hmm. hey, what was the exact – thought behind this call or what was the responsibility of this player um, to really get it right. Yes. Yeah. You know, we did for years on the matchup show to make sure we did to get it right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And as a running and back. That, and, that, oh. and that helps you learn. That helps you learn as a player, you know, an analyst too. And I tell you one thing, it helps us all learn as fans watching you lay it out too on the big screen. I, I know you, you jump on there and you break down plays um, and you're really good at, at explaining specifically how things would work out and progress through a play what by breaking down each plays individually. And that was something I really enjoyed about your broadcasting. Well, you know what? You made my day, bro. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> well, I'll make your day here too, because I started becoming a Steeler fan in the mid eighties. 
Uh, I was born in 74, but I didn't really get into it until about, you know, 85, I think is probably right when I stole and, and you came along in 87, and I was a, a big Merrill Hodge fan, not going to lie. Um, loved watching you play, loved your tough style, and you just had a never-give-up attitude, and we just really appreciate you. And so I thank you for at least helping me become the Steeler fan that I am today. You were one of the first players that I really enjoyed watching. Well, I sure appreciate that. You made my day. I don't care what happens from here on out. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. That's great. So um, as a running back then, and obviously as an analyst, uh, you have to be enjoying what the Steelers are doing now, resurgence in the, in the running game in that San Diego game. Oh, not San Diego. Sorry, they're L.A. I keep wanting to call the Chargers San Diego. All right. I, Such a tough one. You ain't the only, you're not the only one that's going to do that. I know. You know with the old uh, – I know, do it all the time. Berman with a singing the San Diego <laughs> Super Chargers. I just, just love that as well. But I digress. But is there anything specifically that you see them uh, doing differently now in the running game that's garnering that extra success? Yeah. You know, I mean – the first thing you always look at when you run the football well or you're not running it well, it is the starting point for all discussion. And, you know, I used to get so bothered by people just, you know, people go, I can't run the ball. I go, yeah. yeah, you know what? You know I mean, mm-hmm. that's anybody can say that. Yeah. You know I mean? Why aren't they running the football mm-hmm. well? I mean, that's, I'm going to talk about analysts. People that should know better about this game, but they just, they don't do their due diligence to give the fan that answer. That's why fans watch watch this on our matchup show or ESPN. You know, hopefully you give them that answer. Now you turn it on and they're like, you know, I don't know what they're running the football. You know, they can't run the ball. You know, they can't run the football. Well, what does that mean? Here's where I always start in the running game. Yeah. Um, I always this, I'll always say this about the running game. Penetration is the number one killer in the running game, mm-hmm. which is true. That's what defense is yeah. trying to do. They're trying to disrupt things. Yeah. There's always the point of attack, mm-hmm. and this you start in the running game. So no matter what run it is, there's a point of emphasis, you know, mm-hmm. a place you're going to start with. Mm-hmm. And if you can't win there, mm-hmm. then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I don't even care if it's a zone read concept, you know, because in the zone read com- concept, you end up having options. However, there's a point of attack where you're threatening the perimeter, and then at some point it opens up based on what's going to happen, and you don't know exactly what that's going to happen as a runner. Mm-hmm. You just got to be prepared for that. But if you can't get a start of a flow of a zone run, you're in trouble. Okay, yeah. so meaning if we're going to go to the right and we got a tight end going to start it, mm-hmm. and that tight end cannot get any movement, and they'll get slow, and they they close that corner down, and they pile things up. Yeah. It can be hard to find a, a running lane. If yeah. you run a counter, you don't get the double team work, and you don't get a kick out block and a dig out block. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I, don't, I don't care what you do, you yeah. know, as a runner. I don't care if you're Walter Payton. Yeah, it's just going to be hard to run the football. So you go to the point of attack. Where is it supposed to start? Mm-hmm. And if you watch the Steelers the first part of the year, they actually just got they were just a poor job. They just were not winning at the point of attack. Yeah, double teams weren't winning. Guys were splitting the double teams. The end of the single block was getting whipped. And then if you had anybody digging out, you know, they're getting whipped. That's what was the big problem. So what changed it? Well, I'm saying now the double teams are winning. Individual blocks are better. Mm-hmm. And now you're being a productive running team. And that's, you know, it sounds simple. But if you don't start there, it's hard to get the answer. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the thing that stood out the most. That's why it's hard to watch it on film and, I mean, on TV and go, oh, this is the problem. Yeah. It takes an end zone angle to really look who – and where it is the problem. Yeah. 
And that's what was really the problem. They just were not winning at the point of attack, therefore giving the runner no options. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that means penetration was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the number one killer in the running game. Yeah. And the runner had no options. And um, that leads to chaos as a, uh, in the running game, yeah. which is what happened in, in the last few games. You've not seen that. You've seen the opposite, yes. where they have one at the point of attack, and that allows the success in the running game. Now, have they tried to make more of an emphasis on the run now with obviously two injuries at quarterback, um, you know, moving down oh, to, yeah. to Duck Hodge? Oh, yeah. And even but, with Mason, I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you don't have Ben Roethlisberger slinging the ball around like he normally could. Um, so, but it, it's, well, it seems like it's kind of snowballed from there. What, but what is your opinion and what are you seeing on that? Well, listen, you got to realize that Ben has a command of an offense that yeah. has been molded around him. I mean, he's yeah. played nearly two decades. I mean, so yeah. <laughs> that experience, you know, there's value in that experience. He has seen just about everything known to mankind. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a whole host of things that you take advantage of with a player like that mm-hmm. that you don't have today, yeah. you know, with these young, with these inexperienced guys. So you try to um, – take here's what you're trying to do with those guys mm-hmm. is you're asking don't lose the game for us yeah whereas ben you're like listen we probably need you to win you know we need you to win six games for us or seven yeah you know i mean that's how much pressure we're putting on you that you know a third of our games you got to win for us yeah from meet up the quarterback position mm-hmm. now you have to find different ways to win mm-hmm. um and ask your quarterback not to lose it for you um and that's really only fair to do that you know to ask them to do much more than that is um, then you're put, you're asking for failure. You know, mm-hmm. you're putting too much pressure on them to get in a position that they can handle that. Yeah. And uh, now, I mean, talking about that specifically, it took us now our the Steelers' fourth rostered quarterback of the season to finally get a win on the West Coast. And do you think uh, that stat is kind of overblown? I know the Steelers have had a lot of struggles winning on the West Coast, um, but. Do you think that's kind of an overblown stat, or is there some merit to that? What was the stat? I'm sorry. It's been a, the Steelers. Just every time they travel to the West Coast, they have they seem to be dropping every game, no matter how bad the Raiders are oh. or how bad uh, you know whatever team we're facing out there. They just they seem to always have trouble playing on the West Coast. Well, here's what I think about. Listen, I think there's value in stats and analytics. However, mm-hmm. I, I I've never the only stat that matters there's two stats that matter in, mm-hmm. in football turnovers and points yeah. and uh, you know at the end of the day that's that's going to tell you uh, yeah. who wins and uh, the big indicator who has the best chance to win um the only reason that stat bothers me mm-hmm. is it the exact same team that was going there every time that loss happened yeah you know yeah. So if it's not I mean it, it, to me it's irrelevant there's no bearing on it there's a completely different team half of them Shoot, I could argue half of them haven't even played, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, put it this way. And none of them have played in that stadium, and none of them have played the L.A. Chargers. Um, uh, I can guarantee that. That's true. <laughs> that's true. And they were a Steeler doing it. Yeah. So that's never happened. So that team right there, mm-hmm. that, that stat to me doesn't even – that's a, a history stat of the Pittsburgh Steelers that has no bearing on that team. So there's no bearing as far as for playing earlier in the day than you normally would, or, or the the time difference. Is, is that uh, you're not that you could use? I don't. Listen, I've I've, I've done that, and mm-hmm. I um, 
actually, you could argue at that time, and I did um, for them. Um, it's just a, the, the the problem is getting home. It's really not playing the game. Yeah, it's just it's just getting home. Yeah, you know, because of you're playing on Monday night, so you're starting earlier there, but you're starting the same time you would start back home. And if you've played on a Monday night before, you're a very equipped candle act. What you probably never experienced is now showing up at four in the morning or five in the morning when you get home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, one thing I want to talk about is the injury situation. I know the Steelers bye week had to come at the <laughs> the best time for them this season. Um, cause they've got a, a laundry list of injuries. Unfortunately now Stefan to it's lost for the season. Um, a bunch of people got banged up in the last game as well with James Connor and TJ Watt, Joe Hayden, Devin Bush. Um, and a few people were still banged up from the game before with Jalen Samuels and James Washington and Roosevelt Knicks and Mark Barron. I, I mean, in Nelson as well. I mean, the la- there's just a laundry list right now at, in the injury situation where they had actually seven injured players um, or six of the six of the seven inactive players last game were all injured. Plus with the extra injuries that previous game, the extra week has got to help the team this week. Fortunately also um, Mason Rudolph cleared concussion protocol. And I wanted to talk with you specifically about that because you were kind of instrumental in your playing days on kind of being the case that, the NFL really had to start creating uh, some sort of concussion protocol. Um, can you speak to Steeler Nation about that and also your upcoming book, which describes, I think, some of that as well? Well, um, to put it in context, my career was ended because of improper care mm-hmm. of head trauma. Okay. That, that was the real problem. It wasn't actual concussion. It was the improper care of the first one. Yeah. And then on a Monday night game, and I was returned to play over the phone. Mm-hmm. 1994, yes. with still having symptoms, and that's with you, the Chicago Bears, at, correct? That's what right. That's what the Chicago Bears. Okay. Now, if you want to back up in 1989, the Steelers are the first professional team in in world history to actually establish um, a protocol mm-hmm. for players or a baseline for players cognitive testing to give them subjective and objective evaluations of a player who right. had head trauma. That was right. really sparked by Chuck Knoll yeah. um, to Joe Maroon, who gets Dr. Lovell involved, and they create uh, a cognitive test called impact to yeah. have yeah. players take it and get a baseline. So the Steelers mm-hmm. were really the pioneers and the leaders in doing stuff to look at um, a concussion, some kind of head trauma, to make sure they didn't return the player too soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. They were doing that on their own, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, they had still a bunch of questions that they didn't even know. It didn't like they had a set-out plan. They knew it was going to be – it was going to accomplish A, B, and C. They're learning too. Mm-hmm. That being said, I was part of one group of players to do that. Yeah. I'll come back to that in a second. I go to Chicago. Um, and keep in mind, Dr. Maroon, I think, is the first neurologist neuro, uh, neurologist on staff, and I think he and he's – he gets hired full time um, on staff in 1986. So okay. the Steelers were very progressive yeah. and advanced. The Chicago Bears didn't even have a neurologist on staff. Uh-huh. Um, I got looked at by a family practitioner who cleared me over the phone to return to play. Okay. And I had all kinds of symptoms that we would know today. Back then, mm-hmm. none of those were ever told. You didn't know that as a player. Gotcha. Did I have a headache yet? Did I feel right? No. Yeah. Um, 
Did I say I felt good? Yeah. I felt like, but I never thought it wasn't told to me that a headache was a symptom. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I was clearly shared that. And first of all, you at least deserve a follow-up mm-hmm. by a specialist. That'd be like, you know, having a toothache and have an orthopedic look at you. Yeah. And you go, you know, how, how's tooth feel? Yeah, it feels all right. Nah, then leave it in. <laughs> you yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> but, yeah. but perspective, that's 1994. Mm-hmm. Now, you can sit there and start slinging mud and pointing fingers and casting blame right now. Well, I worked for Chicago. Okay, the Chicago Bears weren't doing it that time. Yeah. Okay, that's not what was a part of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, did it cost you my career and everything take my life? Yes. Mm-hmm. That is why I took that doctor to court so that that would never happen again, which I really thought that was my goal was in the NFL. Yeah. Which l- later leads to my passion really for where it matters in this country, and that's youth sports, 8-18. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yeah. 18, I know it's not youth sports. That's, it was in high school, but yeah. the reason I say 8-18, that's where 99% of our athletes are. Mm-hmm. They're not in college and they're not in the pros. So in 1,800 NFL players, there's like 100 and some thousand college, college players. So millions play from 8 to 18. And that's where we needed to care for. That's why I went to Congress. That's why I've been to the Pentagon. You know, I mm-hmm. even helped the military too. Wow. And that leads me to the book. I am no different than anybody else in the sense of watch TV, hear stuff on the radio, you read stuff in the paper and you're like, um, this doesn't make sense. Just from a common sense perspective, I'm like, yeah, if sports were causing all of this, they keep in mind, you have to include, okay, where does it happen? Which is very important to understand. If you have to, everybody listening to this should understand where does head trauma really happen? Mm-hmm. It's a very simple answer. Everywhere. Mm. The leading cause of head trauma in this country, tripping and falling. Wow. As soon as I said that, one person goes, you can't say tripping and falling over sports. Sports combined mm-hmm. doesn't even come close to the incident rate of head of tripping and falling. Wow. And they start arguing with me. I'm like, okay, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to make it simple. Who could trip and fall? Anyway. Everybody. There's not a person <laughs> in the yep. world that can't trip and fall. Yep. So everybody is open season for that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody plays sports. And with what goes on today with the structure and equipment and um, protection they have, and, okay, and the incident rates, when you think of injuries, it's it's the lowest injury rated particular, as far as incident rates. Mm-hmm. You know, to use sports, I mean, bumps and bruises are number one. You know, yeah. brakes, sprains, you know, they, they in order. You know, head trauma is at the very bottom of how many times it happens. Yeah. Now, because it's the most vital organ of the brain, it should be treated number one. Mm-hmm. All need to be treated right. Yeah. But emphasis there. Now, that being said, that's why um, it really set me on a quest. I wanted to find out the truth about what CTE was. Mm-hmm. And after meeting with, um, I mean, literally dozens of neuropathologists, they all kept saying the same thing to me about the pattern CTE. They're like, Merrill, it's a finding. Mm-hmm. It's an observation state. We don't know what causes or what it causes. And I'm like, time out. That is not what I hear in the media. I hear football players, football players. And I go, well, time out. There's only 300 cases in the medical center. A third of them, mm-hmm. meaning a hundred of them, mm-hmm. never played sports, never had a history of head trauma, never had a concussion, and they have the pattern. How do you explain that? Yeah, sports. I mean, so you can't make sports a part of that hundred cases, right? Yeah. So what? Why do they have the pattern? Mm-hmm. That's why we don't know, Merrill. Oh my God, oh geez. Wow. So they're like, listen, mm-hmm. you do some work. Go read a paper. Mm-hmm. First scientific paper I ever read mm-hmm. was called Spectrum of Disease Paper, authored by Anne McKee. Mm-hmm. 
In the paper, the scientific paper, it says this, caution. This is the actual saying. The reason it says what I'm about to share there is because the methodology, they did the testing. They did two types of testing. Mm -hmm. It is about as big a garbage of science as you could possibly come across Mm -hmm. with keeping just an ounce of integrity, which I believe there's no integrity in this paper. The only thing that gives it an ounce of integrity is because it discloses really what garbage it is and how incomplete it is. Mm -hmm. And because it says caution must be used in interpreting the high frequency of CT in the sample, meaning you can't use it because we did two different tests, we come yeah. up with two different results to say what we want to say. And estimates and prevalence cannot be concluded or implied mm-hmm. this sample. So okay. it's telling you, can't use this. Yeah. You know, because it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. So Anne McKee uh, now gets uh, in the public and in the media, they ask her about that paper she just wrote. Mm-hmm. And she, she wrote this. She's very, she shouldn't understand what she just wrote because she's part of the testing. Yeah, she didn't know what garbage it is. But she's asked in the media, like, what, 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 what were your thoughts after doing that paper? Mm. Well, she, her quote is, "Well, um, I, I got to believe after doing that research." I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, this, these are the true words. I got to believe every football player has it. Wow. Okay. You can't be, yeah. you can't, she, she signed a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. Yes. You cannot abuse and be more disgusting to have said something like that when yeah. you're, you have signed a do no harm clause. And, and without full To proof, present yeah. that to the yeah. public mm-hmm. without all, no scientific evidence. Yes. In fact, guidance to not do that. Yeah. Is just about well, what does the media take? Now, did that media um, outlet go and read that paper, mm. and then read that last sentence and all the other methodology, and come back to and go well? And you say that, but your paper says the opposite. Yeah. Why would you say that? Yeah. Now, they don't do that. Yeah. They don't ask that question. <laughs> so I really I wrote the book Brainwash mm. to clear up that particular science, mm. but also to help people understand all the things that should be a part of youth sports that make it a better, safer environment. And if it's not, then you're a gatekeeper. Everybody's a gatekeeper in youth, in youth, in youth sports, rather yeah. you're a parent, coach, or administrator. It isn't just the coaches and administrators. Parents are gatekeepers too, and they must be educated and informed. And the book really helps empower people with all of the truth and evidence of it, mm-hmm. plus tools if your son or daughter were to get hurt, yeah. how to get help as mm-hmm. far as treatment. And if you had head trauma, which you can, and you can have post-concussion symptoms, which are real, that is not CTE. That does not mean you have, you're going to have behavioral issues later in life. It means nothing on it. It means this, that you need to get help, and there's ways to do that cognitively and physically to help repair the area of trauma. And I can tell you from personal experience, my son went through one of those experiences. Wow. And he slipped in the shower when it happened. It wasn't even in a football or an athletic environment. Wow. He slipped in the shower. Hmm. So... Going back to slipping and falling, mm-hmm. yeah. tripping and falling, okay? There's your leading cause of head trauma. And he and that actually was four days before his first bowl game as a freshman. And because wow. it happened in a shower, he can't even know to play. Mm. So um, that's really what I wrote the book on. It's, a, it's an, really an empowering perspective on youth sports and where we are with youth sports and um, what parents need to know about youth sports and all environments for their kids. If they're not playing sports, they could have head trauma in other environments, you know, trampoline, mm-hmm. playing outside, 
tripping and falling, wheeled sports, whole host of ways to have accidents. And instead of being in fear, be empowered with um, ways to help either your kids and get them back to um, 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 back to normalcy, so they can return back to the environment that they uh, um, that they may have gotten hurt in. Oh, that's fantastic. I actually have a, a biopsychology degree from the University of Maryland in Baltimore County, and I find just the entire uh, head trauma and brain activity uh, just fascinating. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to take a look. And how would Steeler Nation get a hold of your book, Brainwashed? Well, you can go to uh, MerrillHodge.com. So we really have all of the information there, and it's two R's, one L, yep. no D and Hodge. Yep. Yeah. That's all wrong, but it's MerrillHodge.com. And we have all of the information and resources, too, because I, too, try to tell people, I'm yeah. not trying to change your mind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to open your mind. And I want you to be, I want you to be, um, I want you to challenge everything. Go ahead and uh, challenge, be skeptic of me or anything else. You, have. you need to do that. Do your due diligence. Read the information. Yep. Uh, do your own work. Use your common sense. Mm-hmm. And you're going to come up with a good answer, uh, I think a peaceful answer for whatever direction you go with your family and how you uh, how people operate things. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just going to get all of the information. Because I think if you're going to rob your kids of something, mm-hmm. make sure that you informed and educate yourself on the entire scope of things, mm-hmm. not just a little bit. Yes. And that's on either side. I'll open it up, look at it all. Yeah. And you do that, I think, listen, we, we make better decisions when we know all the facts mm-hmm. versus we're scared by one. Yeah. And if we know that, then, then you're going to make what ends up being the best decision for, your, for you and your family. That's spoken like a true scientist. Absolutely awesome. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way to look at everything. Couldn't be said, couldn't be said better. We're, we're, right. Which, Rich Risha, you know, to yeah. that point, um, Boston University runs uh, runs around with this one paper that they did mm-hmm. talking about um, exposure for our kids early in life um, from contact sports, all of these cognitive behaviors. Yes. They don't say it causes. There's no cause or link. They have papers, the whole paper splattered with unclear, unknown, may cause, may not, yeah. more research. We don't know. But they used that paper to try to change legislation. Now, keep in mind, yeah. in sciences, you, you sound like you know a little bit about science. Yes. You have to incorporate all the scientific work. Yep. And if somebody goes, well, nobody else did any research on that. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. There's eight <laughs> other papers. There's eight other papers that people tried to replicate and duplicate, which you need to do in science, by the way. Yeah. And here's what happens. If you can't replicate it and you can't duplicate it, then that one scientific paper becomes less and less important. And if you look at how it is, it's garbage anyway. It's just like the other Anne McKee paper they mm-hmm. did. Eight other papers were done. This from Stanford to Wisconsin to Mayo Clinic. Wider scope, longer research, more people involved in it, and none of them could replicate it. Or duplicate. In fact, yeah. the, I think it's the, called the Madison paper. Yeah. They found there was co- cognitive, more cognitive issues with band members later in life. They didn't even <laughs> oh, play contact wow. sports back in the 60s, so maybe the band should be shut down. Right. <laughs> but then someone would go, that's just one paper. You can't do that. Well, of course yeah, Exactly. You, can. you couldn't do it either way. <laughs> then why are, why, why are we letting Boston University do that? Yeah. And, Don't do that. People need to stand up and understand all the facts and, then, and actually be angry that the media presents it like we're dumb. Yeah. You know, be smarter than the media, you know, do your due diligence, expand your scope, look at all of the facts. Because here's what I think it does for a parent. Mm -hmm. If you read the book, you're empowered by, hey, I know now 
better ways to make my youth programs, programs, not just football, mm-hmm. all programs better and safer. Or if my son or daughter get hurt in another environment, wheeled sports, playing back, man, I know how to handle this now. And I know there's treatments and cares for my, for my child to help them. Yeah. And I know currently also with CTE, there's really no way to test for it until after that person has died and you actually biopsy the brain. Um, right. I, and keep I, in mind, um, you're right. You're 100% right. Well, people are diagnosing themselves with CP today, yeah, which is mind-boggling. You can't right diagnose after they've been di- yeah. diagnosed with depression. Okay, well, you can't just switch the symptoms into this because they don't even know what that is. In fact, yeah. there's n- the scientific work that is required to be mm-hmm. to have um, um, symptoms identified. Okay, that's not what work hasn't even been done. Nobody knows what that is. Yeah. They haven't even finished. You know, when you took it, uh, when they took it, their levels of of or degrees of. Uh, of, of different patterns they have for mm-hmm. um, the name the, the word I'm escaping right now. It'll come to me in a second, but yeah. you know, you have like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Okay. They haven't even finished that process. In fact, stage one is this. Yeah. There's no floor. Yeah. Okay. So there's no, in science, you can't have no floor because you know what no floor means? Everybody has. No, yes. So you, you, I don't care if you play sports or not, meaning anybody can have it. Yeah. There's no floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. How do you, how do you, so they haven't even finished that process. Yeah. Going back to, it's an observation state and they do not know. Yes. To being able to state the cognitive levels of, of the, the disorder. Yeah, that's, it's, and it, it's also another reason is, one of the reasons is the media can run with these things because it's something that's so scary because you can't test for it while you're alive. So they're jumping on well, these papers by creating <laughs> these scare reports, I, I assume, to uh, to get ratings. Absolutely. If you told, if the media actually told the facts, mm-hmm. okay, let's do the and the key. Let's do, let's just put what they they wrote that. In, um, they put that in, you know like in the head in the headline. Yeah. You know, um, landslide paper um, could be caused issues later in life. That's how they that's how they they uh, title it. You yes. Know? Yeah. And, and, and don't people don't read could cause, and then yeah. you read the paper, mm-hmm. and then that, there's no cause. Okay. Yeah. In fact, there's more evidence that spirals over to. Here's here's actually the biggest issue with your kids. Mm-hmm. I'm a parent, so yeah. I know of the value. I'm a grandparent, so I understand this. Been living it, still living it. That's great. The most the most deadly thing our kids could possibly do at a young age mm-hmm. and maintain later in life is poor eating habits and consuming sugar. Nice. And yep. having more activity in their life. Nice. Right there. Yep. That would be that will lead to all kinds of brain health, cardiovascular yep. disease, and cancer. Okay, right there. You're right. So, if you don't understand that, realizing what's the most dangerous thing our kids could be involved in or doing, yeah. if you don't and can't wrap your head around that aspect and you don't realize that, mm-hmm. then you need to educate yourself more and more because that right there is the most dangerous thing that could happen to your kids in their early life and later life, and that stems down to not just brain health. But that's total body. Uh, bone density, yeah. Um, yeah. ligament structure, yeah. um, a whole host of internal organ issues. Yep. Sugar is diabetes, the poison of America. Yeah. It is the nastiest. Yeah. My, my diabetes is, shoot. That's what, is uh, one aspect. Colon cancer yeah. to heart disease. I mean, shoot, diabetes too is just like, uh, mm. how do I say this? It's um, That's... That's a mild one. I guess yeah. that's, a, that's a mild one that it, could happen to and you. And it's preventable by that. It's just diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, 
All of them are. Yeah, all of them yeah. are, are are within your control. Yeah, I could spend an hour with you on this subject. I've, I'm a, a disciple of Dos, Dr. Lustig from um, Stanford, who's written many, many papers on the toxicity of fructose. And um, yeah, so, love that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I know it's something that no one understands when you speak to them about them. But seriously, Steeler Nation, the biggest thing that you can do to improve your health is drop your sugar intake. That's it's it helps everything all you, the way around. You, amen on that. You you will never regret that move. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And there's no negative. There's no negative. Yeah. From it, too. By the way, <laughs> other than so you like, miss sweets. <laughs> well, let me just say this. Yeah. Here's what you try to do, and oh. I tell people all the time: it doesn't mean you can't have it. Truth. It's if, if listen, if sweets and sugars are controlling you, yeah, you just need to reverse it where you control it. Yes. Meaning, you know what? I'm not living my. This is not my lifestyle here, as yeah. far as it, I'm living off of it. Is I have it when I want it, and I get to it. Therefore, I get to do it. I control it more, and I have less of it. And the less I have or still enjoying it, the better off I'm going to be short and long term. So um, to tell people you're done with that, you can never have that. Mm. That's a destructive mindset yes. from this perspective because you don't need to completely eliminate yeah. it. It's just listen, I, like, listen, I love chocolate. I'll be the first one to tell you. Yeah, I, I <laughs> I'd take a chocolate pancake every morning. I'd take a chocolate sandwich in the afternoon. I'd take a chocolate steak. I mean, that's what yeah. I like chocolate. Okay? <laughs> I, was, I was in Hershey, but, Pennsylvania what? for four years. I understand, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, but I like dark chocolate, too. And I'm nice. buying like a dark chocolate. It's a cancer fighter. But that being said, yeah. Okay, yeah. Back, okay, I can justify that. Oh, I have chocolate all the time. I have these mm-hmm. chocolate balls. I have a little bowl of them. And I have one or two a day. Mm-hmm. That's all I have. I just have one or two a day. Then that bite soothes me, gives me exactly what I need. And my sugar consumption when you look at the scope of how I eat is in the five to 10% yeah. all day yep. long. Yep. And, and that's, you can do, and that's what I tell people. If you can just keep your, get together lifestyle, keep your balance, just, you're going to be better off health wise, short term and long term. Now, when you were suffering from your uh, non-Hopkins lymphoma, did, was that something, was your diet uh, a, a big part of um, your rehabilitation process as well? And was that where you started down that path for your well, diet? Um, yeah, I claim, listen, I've always had a really clean diet. I mean, I've, I I started trying to get rid of sugar mm-hmm. in my – John Kolb was the strength conditioning coach for the Steelers. I think he, um, about around 1989 yeah. it started with him. And he and I started discussing. He's like, you got to get rid of sugar. And that's really where he started talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I went like cold turkey, got rid of all my sugars, yeah. and I had a headache so bad that day I couldn't stand it. Yeah. So um, I realized I had to do, kind of wean myself off of it. Yeah. And the more I weaned myself off of it, the actual better I became. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, then it became a lifestyle for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I controlled, I know, I can, I control sugar, it doesn't control me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I try to get people to realize you got to look at your what you're consuming and figure ways to minimize things that might be in excess. Mm. And if you do that, listen, that's, that's how you do it. Um, you don't sit there go, if I say you can never have that again, yeah. Oh, all you do is focus. I can't never have that again. It just, it's so deflating versus, yeah. Hey, listen, how do we take charge and control that? Yeah. Um, let's say, and this actually was a true story. I wrote this and actually it's in brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about sugar consumption and Ron Jaworski, Mm-hmm. Jaws used to drink like like eight cokes a day. Wow! And he was now one coke can give you almost fifty grams of sugar. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's a ton nobody of sugar. in the world needs eight, 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 50 grams of sugar a day ever. 
<laughs> Let alone yeah. 400 fact, grams. There, there, <laughs> wow. There's no, there's no, right. There's no nutritional yeah, requirement zero. for sugar. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, there was only what they give you as a guideline. Don't have X amount. Yeah. So if there's, if they're, if they're saying don't have X amount, they're finally honest with one thing. This is why you, this is why you shouldn't because it's so destructive. Yeah. Um, and here's how much sugar. Listen, in the '60s, we used to consume about 15 pounds of sugar per American per year. Yeah. Now we consume over 154, wow. 155 pounds of sugar per American per year. Wow. Yeah. Maybe. Think about that. Yep. So anyway, what I'm getting at is mm-hmm. what Jaws eventually did. Long story short. Yeah. He started to control the coke for the first the coke control him. Now today, like he like he got to where he's just having one a day and mostly yeah. water. Yeah. Then he got to where he's just getting caught now because I, I hardly ever have coke now. Nice. You know, he but he flipped the script on it. Yeah. And he has coke when he wants, but he doesn't live off of it. That's great. That's great. And Professor Merrill, thanks a lot for <laughs> walking us through that scientific plan. But let's do your other professorship as well. And and I know you've broken down the upcoming Miami game. Uh, how do you see the Steelers' offense attacking the Miami defense this week? Well, I, I, I can't answer that right now. I'm okay. actually, I just told you I'm watching. I'm just starting to study the Dolphins. Okay, you know, okay. Right now. And I, 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 I made this mistake one other time. And I'm going to be honest I'll try. I'm always honest with you. If I don't, if I couldn't watch tape, mm-hmm. I would be irrelevant in basically giving evaluation because yeah. you just you can't got to watch tape to know those kind of stuff. You know, like yeah. I'm watching. I'm about to say this. I'm watching the Dolphins early on. I'm gonna tell you what they they did against the Bills early on. They ran the ball. Yeah, they did counters and they run the ball pretty well. That's ultimately what's key in the NFL. You got to control the tempo. Yeah, it is. And I'm sorry about my killer dogs, man. We got like two <laughs> Frenchies and those two things. That's They're the most right. dangerous-sounding things in America, but the, as soon as you get in the door, they kiss you to death. So. French Bulldogs? Sorry about that. Yeah, French Nice. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> nice. But yeah. they don't – I don't have um, – you know, I haven't watched their defense yet. You yeah. know, or, okay. I'm just starting to watch their offense. Okay. So to tell you the details of it, I would just – well, I won't because all I'll do is make it stuff up. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fine. Well, then offensively, what do you see Miami doing and what you've seen thus far? Well, I mean, listen. Early on, the first thing that concerns you is they 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 came up and run the football. I mean, yeah. If you're if you allow that to happen on a consistent basis, that that becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Now I'm watching a play here where they're starting to get pressure on on Miami now. So it, you know, it's gonna take me a while to go through the whole process um, and find out you know where's really where's the weaknesses lie. And obviously, not winning any games. There's probably a lot of issues they're having. You yeah. know. They may not be as many as one might think, and there might be more. That's why you know watching tape is so important to watch. Yeah, is it really? It can confirm some things that um, that you might be hearing statistic-wise, and that's why I just don't trust statistics because they don't tell you so many things that only um, you can see on tape, um, oh. and that stat will never tell you. So, um, I, there. Are, from an off, just watching them early, I'm like in the second quarter here with their, I think I'm past the second quarter. Yeah. Um, they do have, they're not consistent, you know, in this game anyway, they haven't been consistent with anything. Okay. Um, you know, they get a couple, they'll get a play here and there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter now. You know, they just, they lack that consistency, which is usually the problem with all teams, you know, that are struggling. Yes. They just lack consistency in a lot of things and, that's probably what's what's the issue with the Bills' clowns. They cannot sustain anything. Yeah, 
and that seems to be the problem with the Dolphins all this season since they're winless, obviously, and, and have been having trouble even looking competitive in most of their games this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've got another specific question for you. I know that you are obviously Steeler alum. Have you taken part of their program and come back to visit? Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I've hosted the uh, Hall of Honor the last three years oh, cool. event, and I get to host um, the Alumni Weekend here in a couple of weeks, which will be my third time, which is always special for me. So I've gotten to come back here the last couple of years more, and um, I've sure enjoyed it. And love to see former teammates, um, people that, uh, or former, you know, former teammates, anyone, people in the organization that um, I've met over the years mm-hmm. and have relationships with, and and truly um, uh, inspired from and learned from. So it's a special So can you explain to Steeler Nation then what the Steelers alumni um, program is and and uh, how it works? Um, yeah, they will. They bring back all, you know, a lot of the alumni. They usually recognize, last year we recognized two Super Bowl winning teams. I forget the, the, the exact years. Um, this year they'll they'll all recognize um I forget what Super Bowl team we are I don't have my notes in front of me but yeah. um one of those te- teams will be recognized but they bring back alumni mm-hmm. um from every year and every decade and every era so That's cool. you have a big event that Saturday night then you go to the game on Sunday mm-hmm. and um it's a weekend of it so they have a lot of activities for fans and the uh, alumni and I imagine the ownership then is involved pretty uh, closely as well do they are they with you with the dinner as well on the, the night before yeah i mean there's they, the, the what the steelers are so uh, i think one of the best organizations if not the best is their incorporation of alumni and fans mm-hmm. and the fans being a real part they made the fans a part of the voting you know for the uh, hall of honor yeah yeah so they are actively you know but i don't know many teams that do that um maybe our son by son not aware of them mm-hmm. so um, they just are listen, they're actively and structure, structurally involved in in the community um, at a lot of levels um, in Pittsburgh and everywhere they go. And it seems like the Hall of Honor has really done a great job of getting the Steeler fans and the Steeler alumni even more invigorated, it seems. Um, how do you feel of that process? Because I, I know the Hall of Honor has only been around for about three years now then, right, Merrill? Correct. And then, you know, our added the fans, I was last year in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, listen, they, they're very sensitive to how can the fans be, you know, feel more engaged in the process yeah. and involved in it. So, you know, they're all constantly expanding, involving ways to get the fans uh, a part of everything they do. That's fantastic. Is there anything else that you want to touch base with and uh, inform Steeler Nation? I'm good, brother. Great. Just, uh, appreciate everybody on Steeler Nation, no matter what forum or put where you're at everywhere i go i mean i run into somebody from steven nation i've been telling you that's why keep watching where i live i go listen i feel comfortable wherever i go awesome. i run into somebody from <laughs> steven nation no matter where i go so i feel comfortable no matter where i am in the country <laughs> that's great Marilyn. and you're easy to talk to and i really really appreciate you being on the podcast today and obviously steeler nation you've got to check out the book brainwashed at merrillhodge.com that's m-e-r-r-i-l-h-o-g-e.com and check out the book and get to know Merrill even better. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. And we really appreciate it, Merrill. You bet you guys. Appreciate you, brother. Awesome. Take man. care, Talk buddy. To you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. 
And that's all the time we have for the SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Stony Brewing. I am your host, G Stryker, with Merrill Hodge, rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers! Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.